I hope by now you are all feeling recovered from the time change last week. Uh, I know for a lot of us, the first week can be a bit rough. Um, we have been having to do a lot of adjusting around time over the past year. Time just doesn't feel the same. It seems to have especially crawled and sped and blended together through the past year. And I know a lot of us are still looking forward to the days when time doesn't blend together quite so much. When we can safely send all of our kids to school and not be teachers slash remote employees, when work or school might entail a different cadence than just walking to our computers, when we can celebrate events in groups again, and we're inching closer and closer to that. A lot of us have spent months in a state of adjusting and not knowing and maybe feeling kind of hopeless at times. But now things really do seem to be turning around. We're approaching a new time. We have something we're waiting on that feels more tangible, right? Getting fully vaccinated, reaching herd immunity, both of these things tied into CDC blessings on gathering safely again, just waiting for that time when we get the green light to do all the things again. Now that feeling you might have right now as I describe this, that hope of change, maybe mixed with grief over the past year, maybe with still a bit of caution since we don't necessarily have a for sure time frame or maybe you don't know when you'll get your vaccine but there's this vague sense of hope after a hard season that things are going to change the time is coming and so we look at our, our jeremiah, jeremiah passage today um, which I, I like to add in youth group we've been going through the old testament which i'm sure all of the youth would tell you is just riveting and they love it <laughs> But I think there's so much value to knowing the history of our faith. Um, so if you want a deeper dive into Israel's history up to this point, just ask any of the youth group kids, they're pros now. Um, we just this month got to the book of Kings where we find Israel in the situation that Jeremiah is addressing. So I'm gonna pull the PowerPoint here. So book of Kings, this is post Exodus post wandering through the wilderness and the people of Israel were growing and established, but now everything has fallen apart. There was a line of corrupt kings, injustice, and then the nation divided into two. And finally, they are attacked, taken from their land and living in exile. Exile. Probably few in our congregation can fully relate to how the people of Israel must have been feeling at this point. Although there are, of course, people today who I'm sure can very much connect with this story people who have been driven from their homes due to corruption, division, political instability. And my understanding of the weight and impact of these experiences is limited. So I wanna be careful in drawing a parallel to this situation in a way that might downplay or dismiss the realities of that level of injustice and being forced to leave your home. But I couldn't help but think about the pandemic grin as I was reading this passage in Jeremiah. 
the people of Israel here are in a time of fear, division, and uncertainty. Now, we know that uh, one of the main things that the prophet Jeremiah tried to do was wake the people of Israel up to the injustices that needed to be repented of. But here in our passage, he shifts to a hopeful tone. He talks of a time coming when God will bring a new covenant, a new order, promise of a new way of being, that God's self would be made known to them. Jeremiah passed on God's promise that he would put my instructions within them and engrave them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. They will no longer need to teach each other to say, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. This is the seed of hope that they are given in this time of fear and uncertainty. To know God intimately, directly, to be equipped with God's instruction, God's heart for mercy and justice. Now, if you're like me, you might wonder if this might have felt like a bit of a grandiose promise, because even those of us who know God do need teaching. Often we can all lose our way a bit sometimes and do need to be pointed back to know the Lord. But this is the foundation of their promise of hope. Now, of course, other things are mentioned by Jeremiah about their city being rebuilt and restoration, which we might jump to thinking of as the important stuff. I'm sure that was what's mostly what was on their mind. But the foundation for that, for that restoration, for that rebuilding, is this promise to know God and to know God's instruction, God's law, which upholds justice and love. This is how their nation can be rebuilt and how restoration can be brought into this world. And so they are promised the time is coming. And we fast forward a few hundred years. Jesus has come and the Gospel of John makes it very clear that Jesus remembers this promise, this awaited time. Uh, three times in the book of John before the passage we look at today, Jesus alludes to it. At three different points throughout his life, he says the exact wording, the time has not yet come. And then suddenly in our John passage that we look at today, in a seemingly abrupt response to some people just wanting to see him, Jesus announces the time has come. This long awaited hope for this new order has come. And we know that the act to inaugurate this long awaited new order is not one of pomp and circumstance or wild celebration or military victory, but of laying down one's life for the sake of others. It's been hundreds of years that the people of Israel had been waiting for this moment. That sure makes this past one year of quarantine seem short. At this time, there have been stirrings that maybe Jesus is the ones who fulfill this promise. I bet people were getting excited and hopeful. I think about that stirring hope going on with COVID right now, with cases dropping, people getting vaccines, the possibility of change so close. And I imagine the same sense of stirring hope 
that the followers of Jesus were probably feeling. And I can't imagine the shock and confusion they felt when Jesus told them he was going to die and that true servants of his would follow. But that promise is that out of laying down one's life, Jesus would bring in this new order, that all could know God and God's law of justice, mercy, and love because of sacrifice. Now, I know we're going to get to the part of the Easter story very soon, of the cross and resurrection, but this whole promise that had been awaited since Jeremiah lies in that act. So sorry to whoever's preaching on the resurrection. I might step into your ter territory a little bit. But God's love and justice, this long-awaited promise of new reality, is unleashed in a posture of sacrifice. And so now we fast forward a couple thousand years and find ourselves in the ongoing story of the world. And as I reflect on coming into this life so long after this promise was fulfilled, I wonder if I can fully appreciate it. I don't know what it was like to exist and try to follow God and God's ways without this invitation to intimacy, without the Holy Spirit's leading and Jesus's example. I often think we don't always seem to do a whole lot better than the Israelites, but it's clear from this promise in Jeremiah that we live in a different reality. And as so many of us wrestle with what it means to participate in God's justice and ongoing restoration of the world, I don't think we can help but talk about the cross. Because as it's made clear in these passages, it's out of this act that the way is paved for us to know God and to be changed. It's out of this new reality that Jesus set in that we are invited to participate in a new way. And I don't know about you, but I can feel really overwhelmed by the idea of trying to participate in bringing justice and restoration to the world. People way better than me have been trying for longer than I've been alive. And yet the problems of this world seem to continue to stack up. I feel like I often operate from a place of defeatism, helplessness, maybe even a desire to be more comfortable than radical, which doesn't sound like Jesus. And it's hard to imagine operating out of a place of hope and even harder to understand how deeply sacrifice and hope are intertwined. The idea that to fully step into this invitation means laying down your life and somehow out of this, you can embrace this hopeful new reality. To be honest, I think it's sort of confusing and vague. And when I was first preparing for today, I didn't know what I was going to say because I realized that I only have one foot in that door of sacrifice and hope, that I don't fully get it and I have a lot of work to do. And that feels scary and hard and not exactly hopeful. Um, as I was uh, doing research for today, I came across an article entitled, I have only one hope for racial justice, a God who conquered death by Esau Macaulay. He's a biblical scholar and professor. And his article offered me some powerful insights into this concept, and I just wanted to share a portion of it. He says, instead of looking for more signs, we need to be re-enchanted by the resurrection. 
Instead of looking at the problems facing the church and the world through the lens of our Twitter feeds, we need to remember that Christ is risen and rules over all. His power applies to all of our enigmas. Racism and systemic oppression are not more difficult to overcome than death. I would add here, my caveat is that it sure seems to take a lot longer since Jesus only took three days to overcome death and we've been fighting racism and oppression for a very long time. But he goes on to say, let me be clear, this doesn't mean that God is our genie and that we can rush into any arena, assuming that he will rescue us from any folly or grant every request. It doesn't mean that Christians can never feel discouragement. Here's what it means. Our limited imaginations do not form the boundaries of what God can do. The belief in an unstoppable God is precisely what made the early church so difficult to control. It made them dangerous. How do we regain that vision today? How do we claim a resurrected Christ as our reason for hope? I must confess that much of my life has been spent doubting the resurrection. I don't question whether it occurred. I'm convinced that the tomb remains empty, but I do often wonder whether the world is truly a different place. Things seem to go on as they always have. The rich exploit the poor, Evil triumphs over good, racism sweeps our land, and the weakest among us suffer the most. And as I watch the news these days, I see genuine expressions of sympathy for the Black situation in America, but I don't simply want people to feel sorry for us. I want freedom, and in my best moments, I remember where that hope for freedom resides. It resides in the God who conquered death. Although the full fruition of that freedom will not come on this side of heaven, nonetheless, I am not forbidden the beginnings of it here and now. By desiring freedom now, I am not turning America into the kingdom. I'm demanding the right to live and love and work as a free black child of God. The defeat of death is God's great triumph. It reshapes the Christian imagination forever obliterating the limits we place upon our creator. As the protests press on, then I pray today and every day that we remember the resurrection. When the entire cosmos became something different, we have yet to realize the full scope of that change. It's a really powerful piece that he wrote, this invitation into imagination and hope, not fear, or arrogance or any of the other often human responses to all of the problems in this world, but into imagination and confidence that this world really is a different place because of Jesus, that we live in the promise of this new order, and that while we may feel overwhelmed or discouraged at times, or maybe even driven by our own egos, that our core truth should be this promise. And it's easy for us to forget, I think, or maybe to have never fully grasped the change at all. Reflecting on the pandemic right now, I know there's a lot of talk of things never fully going back to normal. The idea that the world has permanently changed, right? We've heard a lot of this language. And in some ways, I'm sure that's true. But I also think about the pandemics of humanity's past. 
that eventually mostly faded away into history, popping up only for most people in history class. And I wonder if five or 10 years from now, as we move past everything that's happened in the last year, if we might eventually move these memories to the back of our mind, only remembering the realities of this past year when something points us back to it, but largely living in the day-to-day -day forgetting it happened. For those of us here that have gone through this, I wonder how long it will be until we go back to taking some things for granted, getting up and getting dressed to go to church or work, social events, things we so missed this past year, yet maybe in a few years we'll feel like obligations again. We'll probably groan and complain at times as hugs and commutes and work and gatherings lose the special spark that they're gonna have over the next year. And I think we'll have to remind ourselves to be grateful, to change our attitude and our outlook when it shifts, remembering the time before and how much we should be appreciating life and what we have and get to do. And in the same way, we don't know what it was like to live before Jesus's life, death and resurrection. We have only known what it is like to live in this time, in this reality. Just like people who haven't been born yet won't know what it was like to live through a pandemic, knock on wood. We don't know the weight of Israel's expectation, waiting on this promise that we live in. So just like we'll remind ourselves and probably younger people in the future to appreciate what we have, I think we need the reminder to appreciate this reality and how that should shape our outlook and our attitudes that God has made herself known to us and planted her law of justice and mercy on our hearts. That out of this strange posture of sacrifice, hope, and confidence, we can help bring God's shalom to this world through social justice organizing, our interactions with other people, our jobs, all that we do in the day-to-day, -day, we are invited to do from this place of hope from the promise that the world is a different place and that God is with us and working through us.